All right, well, you ready to enjoy the word? All right, <laughs> yeah. All right, First Kings, you want to take your Bible and join me in the book of First Kings in the Old Testament, and that's about a third of the way into your Bible. So if you get around Chronicles or Samuel, you're going to be really close to the book of Kings. Chapter 17 of First Kings, if you need a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand. We'd be glad to share a copy of God's Word that we keep in the back just in case you need that. And there's a little note page in your bulletin. Grab that if you wouldn't mind. Pull that out. And uh, you can refer to that along the way. It'll definitely be of some help today. And, and church family, the moment that you opened your bulletin this morning and you saw that study note page, I'm guessing that you had a hunch that we might be starting a new series today. And in fact, we are. That's exactly what we're doing, a new series at the start of a new year. Seems like a reasonable idea to me. And, and what is the focus of this new series? Well, your note page as well as the monitors up front would give that away. We are going to step into the life and the times of an amazing Old Testament character by the name of Elijah. And I am excited for us at the prospect of being able to share his story together over the next several weeks If you have had some time in your faith journey with Jesus and you've spent some time in your Bible, then you know uh, Elijah at least a little bit because his name pops up all the time. And if you're fairly new to Jesus and his claims upon your life and you've not logged a lot of church miles yet, then it's possible that Elijah is a complete unknown to you. And if that is true for you, then you're in for a real treat if you're able to be with us from week to week. Though Elijah is, is just one of the really incredible figures, both men and women, that are in our Bibles, uh, he is for many one of our very favorite Bible characters. That would certainly be true for me. He would make my top five list of favorite Bible characters, and for many reasons, some of which we'll get into in just a moment. I know some of you would put him uh, that high on your list as well. But if he's not, or perhaps he's not even on your radar yet, I am praying that by the time we close out this series, Elijah is going to be one of your favorite Bible characters. He bursts upon the pages of Scripture like a sudden explosion, and then eight chapters later he leaves the earth in a flash of fire, literally in a flash of fire. In between those two points, He is uh, part of some of the Bible's most incredible God moments. And we get to share that together. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to just join us in this series and uh, introduce us and take us into the life of Elijah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. So why Elijah, church family? Why Elijah? I'm so glad you asked that question. According to the biographical Bible, there are 3,237 different people whose lives and names uh, find their way onto the pages of Scripture. 3,237. So why, out of all of those possibilities, would we land on the person of Elijah? Well, I have a number of thoughts that come to my mind as I would seek to answer that question. Uh, kind of in the, in the big picture, one of the reasons we're going to land on a Bible character at all is because it's been a while since we have done a character study here together as a church family on Sunday mornings. I think that Joseph might be the last time that we really did a character series. It was maybe Daniel, uh, but that has certainly been a long time ago. So we are overdue for a series uh, like this. 
as well, we've spent a lot of time in the New Testament this past year. In fact, we spent all of our time in 2015 in various places in the New Testament and mostly in the book of Galatians. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with being in the New Testament. But in my spirit, I have been sensing that we need to get some Old Testament time together. I really am looking forward to that thought. In fact, on your note page, uh, near the very top, Romans 15.4, there's a, there's a verse there that, that really speaks into what we're doing, and it's a very cool promise. Romans 15.4 says this, For everything that was written in the past, that's referring to the Old Testament, was written to do what? To teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So when we step into the lives of the Old Testament characters, whether it's Elijah or anyone else, we're going to learn as we do that how to, to do life in Jesus better. That's a promise that comes right out of this verse. We're going to be taught and we're going to see others who pushed through and they endured in their faith uh, in really difficult situations. And that tells us that we can do the same. That serves to encourage us and helps us to keep going, helps us to keep those fires of hope, says verse, uh, this verse 4 of chapter 15. Keep those fires of hope burning, uh, our faith spiritually alive in a dark world, uh, in a culture that seems to be determined to shut God out. By being in the Old Testament and learning from these Old Testament characters, we have hope and we stay the course. And that's a good reason to look at the life of Elijah together. And it is no accident that so much of our Bible, especially the Old Testament, is given to sharing the lives, the, the triumphs and the struggles of its characters. The Holy Spirit knows that you and I learn best lots of times by simply watching others, learning from uh, them when they succeed, and learning from them when they fail. There's just something touchable and real for you and me when we can get under the skin of the Bible's characters and see them not only at their best, but also at their not so good. And Elijah is one of the best characters for letting us do that. Uh, he has some great, great moments, but then he also has some crash and burn moments also. The other thing I would be reminded of as I think about Elijah is that uh, we're told in Scripture that he is so much like you and me. Instantly, knowing that, I can relate to this guy. There's moments when his faith and his trust in God is unassailable. You couldn't dent it if you tried. But there are other moments when his faith and his courage just seem to vaporize into thin air over issues that you'd be really surprised that that would happen. He's just so much like us, and, and that draws me to Elijah as a character for us to share together. As a matter of fact, James, the New Testament writer, uh, says this. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like what? Like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. That verse is going to become important to us in just a moment as we can step into his life. But it's that first line that really catches my attention. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He is like us, the Holy Spirit says. He's not some untouchable saint, some Bible character placed on a pedestal that, that nobody can relate to or get close to. He will, we were going to, we're going to discover that he is in our lives and we are in his 
life on the pages of Scripture. And then beyond this, why Elijah? Well, there on your note page, his name is constantly turning up, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. More than 28 times between Matthew and the book of Revelation, we find his name. He's he's spoken of more than any other Old Testament prophet. And it doesn't take you long when you're reading the New Testament to figure out that, hey, this Elijah character is someone special and he's worth our time. We're going to be doing ourselves a big favor if we get to know him better for all the reasons that I've just shared, but for one more as well. We're going, to, we're going to be blessed because the days in which Elijah lived some 3,000 years ago are very much like the days that we live in right now. Spiritually dark, dangerous, uncertain days marked Elijah's life and time. Days that grew darker as time went on. And Elijah shines bright in his time in spite of the darkness. And brothers and sisters, the challenge out of Elijah's life is that you and I can do the same. We can shine bright in a culture that is growing spiritually darker by the year. Would you agree with that statement? That we are a culture that seems to be growing darker and darker every year that passes. Elijah shined bright in his time, and we will learn from him how to shine bright in our own time. We'll be taught by him, by his life, by his words, by his example, his courage, his faith in his God, who happens to also be our God. And we'll learn from his successes, but we'll also learn from Elijah's failures. And I think you're going to like this guy. I know you're going to learn from him, but I think you're going to like him and relate to him. Now, Elijah's story begins in the book of 1 Kings. And in fact, we read his name for the very first time in chapter 17, verse 1, where your Bible is open now. And it reads like this. This verse says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that Elijah literally explodes on the scene with no warning. I mean, one moment he's not there, and the next moment, boom, he's there. And this is that moment. And, and yet, while this is, this is where we first meet him, chapter 17, verse 1, it is not, as you may have already guessed, where his story really begins. You know, we all live and we act and we react and we respond within the context of a particular period of time and a particular geographical place where we live. We're, we're all born into a context geographically, politically, socially, economically, physically, and certainly we're born into a context spiritually. We all live within that. And so while Elijah's name appears for the first time here in 17.1, his story actually begins before this. As a matter of fact, about 58 years earlier with an event that rocked the nation of Israel that Elijah was part of and the nation that he lived in. And to be able to really understand Elijah, we must understand the times in which he lived. 
He bursts on the scene uh, at a time that can best be described, I think, as turbulent, dark, and desperate. And that was the story that he steps into. It's part of his culture. It's the story of the people of Israel, and he's a part of that. So if we're to understand him, we need to understand his times. So with that thought in mind, leave chapter 17, and if you would, flip back just a few chapters, find 1 Kings chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 9. The date is roughly 900 B.C., Solomon has just has succeeded his father David on the throne of Israel. And we pick it up in verse 9 with this. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. Solomon's heart has been drawn away from the Lord, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Verse 11, therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your, out of the hand of your son. Well, that sets the context for us. That begins to to build the stage for us here. There is a great lesson and a sober warning in those verses that we just read. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, did over the course of his life, little by little by little, move away from his love for the Lord, his relationship with his God, eventually giving his heart over to other forms of worship, in fact, to idols. And church family, there is always a price to be paid when we move away from the Lord, right? Always going to be a price that we pay when we, we embrace a casual disregard for God and we begin to be attracted to other things. It's true in Solomon's life. It's true in your life and mine. God says the kingdom over which Solomon rules is going to be taken from him. With that thought, jump over to verse 43, same chapter, and we read these words. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, that's Jerusalem, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So Solomon has a son whose name is Rehoboam, and he succeeds on the throne. And then, no sooner does Rehoboam take the throne than a man by the name of Jeroboam, no relation, comes along and he competes for the throne. And the kingdom of Israel is divided. And Solomon's kingdom is now going to be in two parts. If you skip over to chapter 12 and find verse 20, we read about that. Chapter 12, verse 20. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David. That's Rehoboam's house but the tribe of Judah only. In other words, the kingdom has been split in two. Jeroboam takes ten tribes and he rules the kingdom of Israel in the north. And Rehoboam is left in control of of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in the south. And it is a tragic story of the people of God divided amongst themselves. There's bitterness, there's fighting, there's hatred, and all because of disobedience, a turning away from the Lord. 
So Jeroboam rules uh, Israel in the north, Rehoboam, Judah in the south. But there's a problem for Jeroboam, we learn. The great temple where God is supposed to be worshipped by the nation was in Jerusalem. It's in Judea. It's under control of Rehoboam. And Jeroboam begins to fear that the people of the north are going to go down for their annual sacrifices and their pilgrimages and their feast times. They're going to go down to, Jer- to Jerusalem and they're going, to, they're going to go to the temple and eventually they're going to turn their hearts towards Rehoboam and Jeroboam will lose control. Well, you can imagine where this is going to go right away. Jeroboam hits upon an idea to prevent that from happening. Verse 28 of chapter 12. So the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Yeah, sadly it does. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one of these golden calves in Bethel in the south, southern part of the kingdom, and the other he put in Dan in the north. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before the golden calf. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. In other words, church, family, spiritual darkness has has escalated into outright, unabashed idol worship. And the northern kingdom is plunged into the darkest time it has ever known spiritually. Idol worship is now Israel's national faith. Tough time. Jeroboam's son, Nadab, succeeds him. And we hear about that. Chapter 15, verse 26, if you want to flip over there. We're doing a short history lesson in the life of Israel. Verse 26, chapter 15. Nadab did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. An old adage is true, like father, like son. Well, we learn that Nadab is murdered by a man named Baasha, and he becomes now Israel's king. It is said of him in verse 34 of chapter 15 that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and and the golden calves and all of that and in his sin which he made Israel to sin. So the sin is just being perpetuated now from king to king. Elah, Baasha's son, succeeds him, but, but is then murdered by the general of the army. His name is Zimri. Zimri commits suicide, but not before it's said of him in chapter 16, verse 19, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, making Israel to sin. Then comes Omri to the throne. Look at chapter 16, verse 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. That doesn't sound good, does it? For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. 
So church family, we are talking here about desperate days in Israel spiritually. It is very dark. And keep in mind that this has all happened in less than 60 years. Now, does that have a familiar ring at all to any of us as we just think about our past and, and where we have come from in the past 60 years spiritually as a nation? There's a lot of similarity. There's a, there's, a, there's a feel here. And then this brings us, I mean, it is so dark. And this brings us right up now to Elijah's time. But sadly, it's going to get even darker as I ask you to find chapter 16 and verse 29. We read there that in the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, so the king of Judah has been reigning for 38 years in the south, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Verse 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Did you catch that last phrase? Ahab is the worst king yet. Worse than Jeroboam or Nadab or Zimri or Omri. And none of those guys are lightweights, right? They're all expert sinners and, and expert at taking people away from the Lord. But Ahab bests them all as he comes to the throne. He's going to lead the nation away from God as no one has done that before. In the language of our day, we would say he is one bad dude. There's no one like him up to this time when it comes to doing evil. But what was it that sent him to the head of the class? Verse 31. And as if, it had been a, as if it had been a light thing. Underline, highlight those two words. A light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. It was a light thing for Ahab to walk in the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam had replaced the worship of God, the worship of Yahweh, with golden calves. And Ahab, for him, that's, that's amateur stuff. That's, that's, that's child's play. This guy's a professional. <laughs> and he's going to lead the whole nation in a new direction. To, fur to further reveal how Ahab saw God as really being of no consequence, he marries Jezebel, the daughter of the king of a neighboring kingdom God had given very clear instructions to Israel that they were not to marry outside 